Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Probably a lot of you have seen, maybe some of you aren't so impacted by it, but I'm sure there's a lot that are just the violence and the craziness that's going on over in Israel, right? Um, and so, well, for some, maybe it's like, that's okay, that's over there. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of hearts that, like, like my wife and like myself, I know I'm very sensitive to that stuff. Um, it can be really traumatic to see, and, and the enemy wants to bring a lot of fear. Um, so I want to share this quick testimony before moving into the message, which is that while Juliana and I were processing all the stuff that we were seeing and trying to figure out, you know, it can be cloudy when you feel a prompt towards intercession or something grieves your heart. It can be very easy to shift into just straight fear, which isn't actually in the context of faith in God. It's just straight fear, you know? But sometimes the Holy Spirit himself is grieved, right? And there can be a sense and a weightiness and, and it can feel like something you want to get off of you when in reality God is just, his spirit is groaning in you, right? Um, so I think that was what we were going through, the process that we were in. And, uh, and I remember jumping into the bath and it was very strange because I wasn't set in like a mode of prayer or anything, but I did just quickly say, um, like, Lord, is there anything that you have to say about all this? Um, and I saw a vision of a well or, or a fountain. It, was, it almost looked like a bird bath. And the pedestal came up and the water was perfectly still on the top. And in the reflection, I, I, in the vision, I came over the top of it and I saw in the water very, very clearly these lights that looked like theater um, neons or whatever. Uh, and I knew that I was looking at New York City and I saw red, blue, and white. And, uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, like, is there going to be an attack in New York again? Um, and as a used to be American, I've repented, but I, no, I, I, uh, I, I'm a dual citizen um, and proud Can-American. I, uh, I, obviously, I was there as a kid in high school for the 9-11 attacks, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, are these people, are they going to do this again? And, uh, and I didn't really know what to make of it, so we just kept carrying it on in intercession. The next morning, it was five o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I flip, flipped open my phone uh, and I saw this video that I want you to see right here, which was incredible. So what this is, if you don't know, the day of jihad was called by the leader of Hamas for Friday the 13th, right? This was that very night that I was in the bathtub having this vision of New York City and the, that exact theater or whatever those lights were there. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is God trying to say, pray for this because they're going to get blown up? And he's like, no, I've got people already marching through these streets praying <laughs> right now, right? Uh, and I was, I just, I cried when I saw it. I was so encouraged because it's like, that's right. Like, we're not in this alone. The Spirit of God is moving in all the people who are called by his name, all the people who have put their trust in him. And, uh, and the bravery 
to get out in the middle of, you know, this guy is calling for global jihad to go out to the streets in the name of Jesus and proclaim and pray for peace. Um, and so that was incredible. It's also incredible just the prophetic nature of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that we're about to touch on in a whole new way. Um, but let's start in prayer. So Father, thank you so much. God, thank you so much that we haven't been left as orphans, that you have given us your spirit to be with us even to the end of the age. And that even as all these things take place all over the earth, you've already declared by that same spirit in your word that things would become dark as the day drew near, as the dawn drew near, where Jesus Christ returns with healing in his wings to bring a final judgment and separation between light and darkness. And so God, we thank you for that. Just like the Bible says, we ourselves groan within ourselves, longing for that, that our bodies even would experience the redemption that we would be glorified along with your firstborn, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Thank you for blessing this word. Cool. So with that out of the way, I'm very excited to share this. Um, and what the Lord is doing is calling us into the cloud. He's been teaching us what it means to live in the light. That's the series that we've been on. But to meet him in the light, you have to come through the cloud. And some are like, is, what is this new doctrine? <laughs> it's not, not sacrilege. I'm not making things up. I, I'm going to show you in the word um, the precedent for this and exactly what it means. Coming through the cloud is the place where we begin to fear God so that we might not sin against him. Not fear that drives us away from God, that, but fear that draws us into God. I know that a lot of uh, you are probably participating in the awe of God study with John Bevere. Hey, is anybody in there doing that right now? Yeah, there you go. So that statement you already know and are well rehearsed in by now. Um, and so that's exactly it, is that the fear of God is meant to drive out those things that would make us afraid of anything else. And it actually keeps us near to God. So God is terrifying because of what he is. But if you see him for who he is and his clear call to draw near, you will venture through the cloud and into the light. I have another little video to show you to illustrate this point. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> How would you like that? You know their tongues are super spiky, actually, and can, like, rip your flesh. So that probably hurt a lot. So how many know that even though he clearly has a relationship with this lion, and they seem to be pretty buddy-buddy, that man still has to respect the nature of that lion, right? You don't want to do things that are going to agitate this lion. That lion will kill you. <laughs> um, but he has a good relationship with the lion. And this is exactly the point, is that God is terrifying because of what he is. He's God, and he's holy, and he is an all-consuming fire. But because he wants relationship with you, you can enter into a relationship that's very much just like that, where it's like, this doesn't even make sense. But because you desire it, I'm going to believe you and trust you, and I'm going to entertain this relationship in respect for your nature and who you are. 
So that is um, the, the point that we're going to try to drive all the way home today. And this whole message started forming in my heart during a season of fasting in this last summer. Actually, at the start of the summer. I, uh, I think it was May? The near the end of May that it was finishing. So I, act- I finally responded to God to do a 40-day fast. And, uh, and I didn't do it straight out. So for, just to give context so nobody's like, oh my gosh, this guy. Um, first of all... Let's clarify some things. Uh, I'm not trying to boast to you about fasting. Uh, and when Jesus said not to disfigure your face and, and tell people that you're fasting, that was during the fast so that you might get pity from people. But we know about Jesus's fast because he told people about his fast, right? So this is educational. This is not pump up Johnny time. Besides, I, I was very... Um, there's nothing to be proud of. I had a lot of broth. I had a lot of bone broth during this fast and, uh, and even some spicy peanut broth in the last couple of weeks of it. So, and it was so delightful. Like, can't even explain. Um, and so during this fast, God did honor me. He did meet me. Um, and there was only, I wish I could say that it happened more consistently throughout, but it was near, I was think I was three days from the end of the fast and I had one very spiritual encounter. The rest of it was very much like, I'm doing this out of obedience, and, uh, and he is dealing with me. Um, but as far as like seeing angels and all that stuff, none of that happened. Um, but this is uh, what happened. And this video is a little bit vulnerable, but I think it's uh, valuable enough just to show you and then tell you the vision that I had after this. So this was 37 days into the fast or whatever. Oh, I'm a soppy mess right now. And Sideways. I to share the revelation that the Lord just poured through my heart in worship this morning. He showed me just how much death is swallowed up in life. That the Lord Jesus embodied all of sin and death and those who have put their trust in him have passed from death to life. And he says that to go and be with the Lord is better by far than to endure here in faith. Obviously we do and we have the strength and empowerment of the seal of the Holy Spirit to endure with strength in this life. But to go and be with the Lord is better by far. Oh, you of little faith, why don't you believe? You don't have to be afraid. You will have trouble in this world, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And one day soon, in the twinkling of an eye, we will all see him face to face and he will wipe away every tear. So what God was dealing with in me in that moment was the fear of death. And that's why I was all emotional about it. For some of you, maybe he's already dealt with that in you. And glory to God if that's the case. But he had his finger on this because of the revelation that he was beginning to pour through my heart in this call to come up into the cloud and into the light. So in the vision that I had just during that exact same encounter, I saw Jesus on the top of a mountain and he was up there shining, just like on the mountain of transfiguration. And he was calling everyone to come to himself. And there were a few that had come, like Peter, James, and John, with him to the top of the mountain to speak to him face to face. But the rest of the church, the great majority of the church was at the foot of the mountain, at the base of the mountain, like the Israelites in the Old Testament when God gave Moses the law. And they were, they were happy that God was there, but they didn't want to go up 
because they were saying the same thing that the Israelites said to Moses, which was this. He said, uh, don't let God speak to us anymore because we will surely die. But you go talk with God and then talk with us. But we don't want ourselves to hear anymore because we'll die. We can't take it. We can't stand it. And the people were afraid to go up the mountain because they knew the cost was their lives. But what Jesus was saying was that whoever seeks to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it and keep it for eternal life. And that's Matthew 16, 25. So when the Lord calls us into the cloud of his glory, it is terrifying because he is holy and he's going to confront our idols. And during the fast, that's what the Lord was doing. He was breaking my own idols. I was carrying around idols of what it looks like to have success in ministry. I fully expected at the end of this fast that I was going to be released into some kind of super evangelical ministry. And that is not what happened. In fact, there was a whole lot of taking away of things that happened. Um, so he was dealing with that in me. Um, so in Exodus 20, let's look, at, let's look at this account. All of the people were watching and hearing the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it all, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. However, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you will not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. The people were meant to learn the fear of God in this encounter, in being brought near to his holiness, so they would be delivered from idolatry by virtue of the awe and reverence of who he is. But they kept their distance not just physically, but spiritually but not Moses. In Exodus 24, it says, Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. When Moses went into the cloud, the end result was that he came out with his face shining. Do you remember that? The result of the Israelites keeping their distance, not just because they had to physically, because they did, but because they chose to spiritually and emotionally, was that they fell immediately back into idolatry, right? Moses goes up and he's having an encounter with God, and he comes back with his face shining and reflecting the light of God. But the people, while that's happening with Moses, are busy going back to Egypt in their hearts and making this idol and playing the harlot with this idol. And then Moses comes down, and you guys know the story. It's, it's pretty sad. Um, the people kept their physical, emotional, and spiritual distance from God and fell back into idol worship. One thing was for certain in this moment, the law was never going to bring them as close to God as God truly desired. If anything, this encounter merely emphasized their depravity in God's holiness and how impossible it is to come near in our fallen condition. The chasm is far too wide. God is a consuming fire and we are chaff. To come too close is to be destroyed. God is terrifying not because he desires to be, but because he's so, so holy and we are so, so not. 
God is doing everything he can to be as close to his people as he can, as close to the people that he loves. But what fellowship does light have with darkness? In 1 Timothy 6.16, he says, um, he alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. But he doesn't just dwell in unapproachable light. He is light. 1 John 1.5 said, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is not the dark cloud of confusion and chaos. He's the light on the other side of it. And so I want to talk about light for a minute. Because the Bible declares that God is light. That's the emphasis of this whole season. Uh, and I found super interesting studies about the nature of physical light in this creation. And I don't think that it's a coincidence. Not, not even a little bit. So, I don't want to jump ahead. I want to tell you this in sequence. What is the visible light spectrum? The visible light spectrum is the segment of the electromagnetic spectrum that the human eye can see. So did you know, these are some fun facts, that you can only see one ten billionth of the electromagnetic spectrum. So of all the light, all light is, is part of the electromagnetic spectrum, and the electromagnetic spectrum is all light. You can only see one ten billionth of that light. So another fun fact is that a goldfish can see more of it. Uh, so there's infrared and ultraviolet just on the edges of what we can see. And a goldfish can see some of that uh, infrared. Birds and bees and lizards can pick up some ultraviolet. So they can literally see things that you can't see. Have you ever heard of people having these near-death experiences? Or um, we actually know someone personally, Louis Burns told me about this. He had appendicitis, he was in the hospital. He says he left his body and saw colors that he had never seen while he was in his body. Right? Because your physical eyes, the natural tool that God has given us, are very limited. But there are colors and frequencies of light that are whirling around you. There's even light, that same electromagnetic spectrum is where we get all of our waves that transmit information, all this stuff. So whirling around you right now is all this stuff that you can't see but is so very useful. One ten billionth. Just think about that for a minute. You can see one ten billionth of what's going on. But we get so proud in our, and puffed up in our knowledge, right? And uh, this is what this makes me think of is with Job. In Job 38, he says that the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever read that in Job? Doesn't it sound like a prophecy of the end of time? That have, were you there proclaiming the dawn when we'd shake the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it? Um, so that's crazy. Skipping ahead to 19, it says, What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the path of their dwelling? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. This is God rebuking Job, right? And so we see so much less than we think we do in our pride and presumption. So 
not only do we see the tiniest fraction of light, but the very nature of light is even further beyond comprehension. But let's take a stab at it, because the nature of light and the biblical declaration that God is light is way beyond coincidence. So this is going to get crazy. Everybody, can everybody stand up? This is, gonna, this is gonna be mind bending, so I need you to use your bodies too. We're gonna briefly talk about special relativity. Does anybody know what that is? Anybody a Einstein fan? Okay, yes, so, so, oh, up there, special relativity, there we go. So this is crazy, crazy, and these things have been tested to the extent that we are basically certain that the theory of general and special relativity, it's true. They've been tested, and we'll talk a little more about this. So first of all, I want everyone to just jump like this, right in your spot, if you can. Yeah, that's great. You feel the floor hit your feet? What's doing that? Gravity. Gravity's doing that. That feeling of the floor hitting your feet. In our minds, we think that the Earth is pulling us to the floor, right? Isn't that sort of what we think? Gravity. Gravity sucks you in. Gravity pulls you towards the object that has the gravity, the mass that has the gravity. Do, do it one more time. Have you ever been in a car that's accelerating super fast? Doesn't it feel a little bit the same on your back and bum as that feels on your feet? You can sit down. According, according to special relativity and general relativity, Gravity is actually not you being pulled down. It's a curvature in space-time. So you are being accelerated forward by the ground that you're standing on. Super weird, right? How does that even make sense? It's impossible to really understand. But the point is, you're not being pulled down. You're being pushed because you're in a curvature of space-time. Crazy, right? We won't go too long on that because that's a, woo, the brain will fall out. So how little do we really know, right? Um, but this is, this is, that was a fun little experiment. But this is where it gets super crazy. That same principle, when we look at light, light is this constant in the universe, right? We, th we say that uh, nothing can surpass the speed of light. You've probably heard that, right? And it's true. Nothing can. Only um, light can go as fast as light. But this is the problem with even that statement. The same mind-bending way that gravity is you actually being accelerated, light's not actually moving in that sense. Light just is. It is here, and it is there, and it's everywhere in between. So just bear with me for two seconds, and we'll, we'll get to the biblical reason why this is relevant. So. Einstein's theory of special relativity predicts some crazy phenomena. I'm just reading this article a little bit. None more non-intuitive than the idea that moving clocks tick more slowly than stationary ones, which has been tested and proven to be true. I don't know if you've ever heard of that experiment. Look it up. As clocks approach the speed of light, they tick ever more slowly, getting closer and closer to not ticking at all. So we've uh, done these experiments that prove that this is real. I'm not going to go over all of them, but they did put a, uh, a clock in a plane and found that putting these things to the test, the clock was actually ticking slower when it was accelerating than the one on the ground, right? So, so this is, it all adds up, and the theory has been proven to be true. So we have uh, 
an even crazier experiment that proves this, and I think it, it does the job um, best. So I'll articulate this one. When scientists create peons, which are itty bitty little particles, um, traveling at 99.99, the speed of light, they find that they travel about 600 meters before decaying. They should only be able to go about eight meters. So what this means is they're living longer than they should. It's like a spark. Imagine you flick a spark. The spark should, it, it has a guaranteed, it comes and it goes. It decays this fast. But when they hurl it near the speed of light, it goes exponentially farther. And the only explanation for that is that it is experiencing time slower, right? So isn't that crazy? It's an experiment that's been done. This, isn't, this is not theory. It's like we've proved it, right? So um, what does this mean? There's, there's others, and I won't go. I won't belabor it. It's awesome. I just want to say this little point. At these speeds, um, when they've, they have actually done this, they've accelerated electrons to 99.9999999987% the speed of light. Um, those now will be experiencing time 200,000 times slower than a stationary one. Can you imagine having 200,000 times your time? That's crazy, right? Um, and that's not even what happens. That's only approaching light. So the point of saying all this is to prove that this last statement is true. So what does all this mean from the photon's perspective, light? It can pass through the entire universe without experiencing time at all. Billions and billions of light years can fly by in far less than the blink of an eye. So this is the quote that I want to sum it up with. Relativ relativity is certainly a non-intuitive theory, and it makes some very bizarre predictions. predictions. Predictions that we have seen and have been tested and proven true. However, perhaps the most bizarre of all is that light experiences neither time nor space, existing in all places and all times at once. This is crazy because we only just have the technology to figure this stuff out right? Hadron colliders and, and airplanes and, and all this stuff. But the Bible has declared for thousands of years that God is light and that God is in all places at all times, all at once. Isn't that crazy? So God, who is light, has these attributes that the light that he created literally has in our physical universe. And this is where it's going to get super interesting and ties back in to the word. Um, can we see this reality in this specific situation at Mount Sinai? 100%. And I love this. This is where I may start to get emotional, so I'm sorry if I do. First, let's look at time. God is on the mountain with Moses somewhere around 1313 BC. Some 400 years later, on the same mountain, we see God with Elijah. Did you know that? Did you know that Horeb, Horeb, is that how you say that? Is the same as Sinai. Um, if you look at Exodus 3.1, this is where Moses encounters God at the burning bush in Horeb. Then God prophesies to him in Exodus 3.12. He says, and you'll know all these things are for real, basically, when you come back with the Israelites that you've delivered by my hand and by my power to worship me on this mountain. And he did. And what was the mountain called? Sinai. Horeb is Sinai, right? 
Within the Bible itself, you can see the proof that that is the case. And it's not really disputed if you look at other um, scholarly articles on it. So in 1 Kings 19, the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched Elijah and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. I think this is very interesting that Moses atop the mountain participated in a 40-day fast. I am not trying to relate myself to these guys. That is not what I'm trying to do. But I will say that when I had my mountaintop encounter with the Lord in this spiritual sense, um, it was during this kind of fast. So he went in the strength that food 40 days, 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And just like with the Israelites, we see these manifestations. A great strong wind tore in the mountains and broke the rock to pieces, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after, after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice, right? And so the law came and there were these manifestations and God was in those manifestations. Now, the prophets come. And the same manifestations come, but you see this transition that God is longing for. He's so tender in the way that he speaks to Elijah. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? I think it's very interesting that Horeb actually means, in Hebrew, dryness, drought, heat, waste, desolation, desert, barren, solitude. So it's in the wilderness that they're having these encounters, right? Remember, Jesus was led into the wilderness to fast, right? So these men encountered God in the wilderness. They both did these fasts. Moses, as he wrote in the tablets, and Elijah, as he journeyed to the mountain. So we see these manifestations, but we see something transitioning. And this is the part that's super interesting. We see God, who is in all places at all times, in Sinai with Moses, and then with Elijah in the same place, uh, at a different time. But this isn't the last time that we see Moses and Elijah with God on a mountain, is it? When do we see him next? But now, in this encounter, in Matthew 17, we finally see the light for who he is. Atop this mountain, God reveals himself again and his plan to bring his people closer than the law and the prophets ever could. The law and the prophets show us a glimpse of the fire and light shrouded by the cloud of darkness. But now we finally see the person inside the cloud of darkness. Matthew 17 says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to touch them and said, 
get up and don't be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Jesus alone. In John 1, 1 to 15, you guys all know this, but we're just going to go there and read it anyway. Because the question is, is it really safe to say that the one within the clouds was Jesus? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Coincidence. (laughs) He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which was coming into the world that enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is of higher rank than I, because he existed before me. Right? So Jesus, the light, exists in all places, at all times. He never changes, right? So John uh, 8 has this encounter, if you wondered, did did Jesus really make this claim? It's important that we understand this. In In the old church, this was like a huge heresy to actually try to separate Christ from his divinity, right? And it was a big ordeal. Um, But to really peg it down, John 8, 56 to 58, the Pharisees were persecuting Jesus, and he responds to them, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And what was Jesus' response? Does anyone know? Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said it, (laughs) y'all. He said it straight up. And that is when they picked up stones to kill him. Because that was blasphemy, according to them. Because he was saying, I am that same fire in the cloud. I am that I am the deliverer of the Israelites from Egypt, and now the deliverer for you from your spiritual captivity. He was shrouded within the cloud, but now we see him face to face. We couldn't draw near, but now he was making a way not just to be close, but to be one with the people that he loved. He had come to bear our sin and redeem us from death. He'd instructed Moses with the law and spoken softly to the prophets, but now they spoke to him of his departure. Luke 9, 30 to 31 says, And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Super interesting. The Greek word for departure is exodus. So Jesus very clearly is the one who was with Moses instructing him for the exodus of Israel. And now he was achieving the spiritual exodus for all of us. John says, For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God 
who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. The only begotten God. What a weird statement, right? But if you ever wondered if the stance should be, is Christ himself one of the Godhead? It is without question there in John. So he's calling us into the cloud, into the light of his all-consuming presence, to deal with our idols and to reverence him for who he is. But he is a compassionate high priest. I don't know if you've read in Hebrews, this is the last of, uh, well, no, I guess I have one more scripture to read. But Hebrews actually sums this entire thing up completely. In Hebrews 12, 18 to 29, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is crazy, but even after Peter saw Jesus transfigured, he still stumbled, right? And so this is, I believe, the heart of God in all of this, is that for those of us, whether we've had that encounter with God or not, there is still an extension of grace. The Son of God makes intercession for you. Just the same way as Peter, even after having this revelation, stumbled. Jesus says, Satan asked for you. He wanted to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith would remain. And when you return to me, go and strengthen your brethren. So for those of you here today that you've stumbled even after seeing God, I know for me that's been my thing is where I've, where I've encountered God in such a way. And if I've made a mistake after, it's like you think, oh, but I've seen too much. And now he can't possibly have mercy. And what God wants to do right now is restore even those who you've been, you've known God. You've known God for so long, but you've fallen. And he's made intercession for you. He stopped at nothing to break down the separation between you and him through the body of Jesus. And he wants to know if you'll come up into the cloud to meet him face to face where you belong with God. Remember, Jesus reached down and touched his disciples. They fell down full of fear. And he said, don't be afraid. It's just me, <laughs> right? Just like the lion. It's like, yes, rightfully, you should be destroyed. But because I desire you, I've made a way. I've made a way for you. So could I have the worship team come on back up? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if that's you, I want you to come to the front. If, if, if you have not yet encountered God and you want to come up the mountain and you want prayer for that intimate encounter with God, for a touch from the Holy Spirit, come up. If you've been walking with God, if you've known God, but you've stumbled and you want to receive Jesus and his intercession for you in return so that you can step into your ministry where Jesus says, come, when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. When you return to the Lord, you have a calling to go and strengthen your family. 
and to encourage them just as you've been encouraged that even in your stumbling, like John says here, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. He's faithful. The Bible says even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful and the door remains open. Jesus Christ is a door that is open that no man can shut, right? When he put himself on the cross, he opened the veil to the holy place with God and that door stands open for all eternity. You just come on his terms, which is, God, I repent. I repent. You come back into relationship with God the same way you came to God in the first place and you abide the same way. We walk out our salvation with fear and trembling, awe and reverence. And when we encounter God on the holy mountain, it helps us to have a fear and reverence, like Moses said, so that we would not sin against him. It almost sounds crazy to say, don't be afraid. God wants you to fear him. He literally said almost those exact words. But the fear of God will deliver you from the fear of death will deliver you from the fear of man, will deliver you from the fear of lack, because you know in your heart when you encounter Jesus that he's overcome death and that to go and be with the Lord is better by far. This is pilgrimage, and it's okay that it's pilgrimage. I'm not seeking for death, but I want to be further clothed with immortality, and I look forward to it, right? So yeah. The altar will be open. We're just going to go into this last song and, and I'll pray, pray us out. So Father, thank you so much for your steadfast love. Thank you for being light. Thank you for being in all places at all times. Just like Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. So God, thank you for being present here and now with us, even as you were with the disciples at first. To lead us into all truth. I think we don't have less, but we all have the same help that you gave your disciples as you walked with them in your earthly ministry. We have the, the helper. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.